Hey everybody, before we get rolling this week, I wanted to take a moment to uh, pay my respects to uh, a very important person that we lost this week. Uh, some of you may be familiar with him, but uh, if not, wanted to take a second to uh, shout out Coach Steve Ortmeyer, who passed away um, at the age of 77 this week. Um, long, long outstanding career in football NFL and college related, uh, two times Super Bowl winning uh, coach was a D line coach at the University of Colorado from sixty seven to seventy three, an offensive line coach at Georgia Tech in nineteen seventy four, a special teams coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs from seventy five to seventy seven, uh, same position uh, with the Oakland Raiders from seventy eight to eighty six. Took over as the GM for the San Diego Chargers for three years, from '87 to '89. I went back to being the special coordinate, special teams coordinator at uh, the Oakland Raiders from '90 90 to '94. Then he was a special teams coordinator in Green Bay for a year in '99. Uh, after that, he was the special teams coordinator and tight end coach for the University of Kentucky from 2003 until 2010. And most importantly, he was the coach that recruited me and ended up being one of the deciding factors in why I chose to go to the University of Kentucky. Um, I don't know if I've ever told this story on this platform, but I had a teammate who was originally committed to the University of Tennessee that decommitted and ended up signing with the University of Kentucky. And when he did that, through analysis of his film, that's actually how they were able to find me. Um, and I just recall Coach Ort re reaching out to me, um, wanted me to come up to Lexington to have a visit, speak with the uh, the coaching staff, and, and to see if Kentucky would be a good fit. And um, I recall, I can't think of the particular date, but I do recall it was the time in February um, going into the senior year, uh, senior year last semester of high school and I go up to Kentucky for my visit and I just remember sitting down with uh, coach Rich Brooks and coach Steve Ortmeyer uh, and then them just talking to me about the University of Kentucky and their football team and, and the goals that they had set forth uh, for the program moving forward and I just recall like during that conversation coach Ort just telling me he's like you know right now we're past signing day so we don't have scholarships to offer at the moment but if you come here and you showcase that you can play, we will make sure we put you on the field. And I know a lot of coaches make a lot of promises that are rarely kept in, in today's time, but I'll be damned. I went to the University of Kentucky and I played 56 straight games and never missed a game. And and, and I pay a lot of that is, is due to Coach Ort and his, you know, his ability to see – the talent in me maybe when I didn't necessarily see it in myself just yet. Um, he was a wizard in special teams, and I can't stress that enough. Uh, this man would tell you exactly what would happen, and I'll be damned if 10 out of 10 times it didn't happen, or it did happen, excuse me. Um, he was just amazing in the way he would break down film and analyze what teams would do. Um, he was fantastic at making adjustments on the fly and really – uh, was the first person to really, I guess, like enlighten me on how important special teams were um, to the overall outcome of the game. 
Um, if you go back and look at the years that I was at Kentucky from 06 to 2009, um, a lot of games and a lot of things were swung on special teams play, and, and that's directly attributed to Coach Ort and you know his determination to be the absolute best at everything that we did when we went on the field from a special team standpoint. Um, I, I really don't know if I would have played college football without him, um, and and I really don't know what I would have been uh, or where my life would have ended up had I not gone to Kentucky and, and met Coach Orr and, and been able to learn from under him. Uh, and so I wanted to take the time out to to pay my recognition to him, just say, Coach Orr, thank you for everything that you've ever done for me, uh, my family, as well as my teammates, you know. Um, I've talked to a number of guys over the past week, and we all had the same sentiments. Like, he was just an incredible guy an incredible coach, and somebody that you really just wanted to be around at all times. And so um, I just wanted to start today by by paying my respects. Um, rest in peace, Coach Ort. We miss you. We love you. And we thank you. And um, we're praying for you and your family. back with another episode of smarter than the average bear i'm your host aj better known as bear and if you couldn't tell from the intro we're looking at the nl central this week uh, i've got an invested interest in this division because it contains my cubbies man and and that's the team that's the squad i roll with and so really excited to do this breakdown for for last year and this upcoming year and and really look at you know what could potentially happen as we you know go through this 162 game schedule so as we jump into this, let's start out with the Brewers. Um, like I mentioned before, they they made the playoffs last year. They went twenty nine and thirty one. They were swept in the wild card by the Dodgers last year, two to nothing. Um, no, a couple big signings that they had actually. Um, they signed Colton Wong, who's the second baseman from the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, and they also just last week made a, a a large splash in free agency by signing Jackie Bradley Jr which I, I do think is going to be a tremendous help for that team, adding, you know, an all-star caliber player to that team. Um, I think Jackie Bradley still got some really good years uh, left ahead of him. You know, he was obviously a staple when he was in Boston, and so, you know, them adding him to their, their squad definitely makes them a better team. Um, not sure what that's going to do to necessarily push them over the top for the division, but uh, it definitely makes them more competitive. Looking at the the breakdowns from last year, they were 25th in hits, 26th in runs scored, 16th in home runs, 11th in walks drawn, 2nd in the amount of strikeouts that they had last year, so not a lot of great approaches at the plate, Uh, 29th in stolen bases, and they were 26th in batting average last year. 
On the pitching side, they were 11th in ERA, uh, but they were 26th in hits given up. So if you recall, like 26 is good. They, they were bottom five teams last year in the amount of hits given up, which, you know, goes to speak or goes to show how they really made it into the playoffs because they weren't producing a lot of things uh, offensively with that lineup last year. So uh, I do think that this year uh, a large portion of the questions that are going to be surrounding the Brewers is what is their offense going to be able to contribute? You know, are are their stars, is Yellick going to get back to being that that MVP caliber uh, batter at the plate or adding, you know, Colton Wong and and Jackie Bradley going to be able to, you know, strengthen up that lineup so that they can try to produce more runs and more scoring opportunities for this year. And then ultimately, like, what are they going to do on the mound? You know, they had a pretty good year last year. Um, Hayter got touched up a couple of times late in games. You know, he's been a a more dominant closer uh, that we've seen in this league for a while. And so is he going to revert back to, you know, that outstanding all-star type uh, closer, or is he going to, you know, continue to get touched up? Because if so, that's really going to put a lot of stress on their offense to produce runs and get ahead early so that they can maintain that lead uh, later in the year. I do think that they will, you know, they will rely heavily on uh, home runs like they did last year. I think a lot of their scoring opportunities came from the long ball, uh, even though they were just above average um in the amount of home runs they hit, they just weren't necessarily accumulating a lot of runs because they weren't still in bases. They didn't have a lot of hits. So it was really tough for them to make runs last year. And so it'd be interesting to see what they do this year to, to try to strengthen those numbers back up and then, you know, have sustained success throughout this 162 game schedule. Moving right along, we're going to look at the Cincinnati Reds. Again, the, the Reds were 31 and 21 last year. Uh, they did make the playoffs, but they were swept in the wild card round by the Braves, two to nothing. Biggest thing with the Reds this year is is, is losing Trevor Bauer. Like, I mean, you you don't just turn around a season and 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 a team when you lose a Cy Young winner. Like that's that's a big blow to their team. And looking at their statistics from last year on the mound, led by Trevor Bauer, uh, they were seventh in ERA and they gave up the second fewest hits. Um, last year as a team and you remove that Cy Young winner from there and now you start to look at you know their team and 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 are they going to be able to craft up a a, you know a rotation that's going to be dominant again Uh, because when we start to look at their offensive production uh, they had they were dead last in hits last year they were 27th in runs scored they were ninth in home runs which was which is you know great to see um they were third in walks earned, so a lot of people getting on base. They were 12th in strikeouts uh, and 12th in stolen bases, but they were dead last in batting average with uh, a team average of 212. It's just not good enough. Um, and, and while it worked for last year, I think part of that is because you had such dominant pitching, which carried their team. And, and you know, losing uh, a large portion of that rotation going into this year. It's hard for me to see what the Reds are going to be able to do if they can't rebound heavily on the offensive end. I'm excited to see what um, Nick Castell- um, Castellanos is going to do. Um, I thought he played tremendously in you know the last few months that he was there in Chicago uh, two years ago. 
didn't have as much of an impact last year, uh, except he did hit a bomb uh, as Mr. Brenneman was getting fired on the mic, which was absolutely fantastic. But uh, looking at uh, Castellanos, I really want to see if he'll get back to that guy who's, you know, putting up 25 to 30 home runs and, and potentially leading the league in doubles like he was a couple years ago. Also, Hunter Green is starting to look like he's going to morph into um, a major league pitcher this year instead of in the minors. Uh, young kid throwing well into the hundreds uh, with his fastball. I'm really excited to see what he brings to this team uh, when he finally gets his shot in, in the big leagues to pitch. Um yeah, he was a. I'm pretty sure he was the number two draft pick a couple years ago for Cincinnati, and so I'm really excited for him to get a chance uh, to showcase his talent and what he's got. And I do think, like you know, if he can come in and be a dominant presence, that I'm sure that they're hoping that he he will be um, since they drafted him so high. I do think that would give the Reds some sort of stability in that lineup to uh, potentially have another run at the playoffs. So. A lot of things to be excited for if you're a Reds fan. Obviously, like the the loss of Trevor Bauer again, I can't stress it enough how much it hurts. But uh, there's still some some capabilities there to where they're able to potentially make another run this year. For our third team, we're going to look at the Pirates. The only team last year in the division not to make the playoffs, uh, and and they weren't particularly close. They were not 19 and 41 last year. And a really bad offseason for him, losing Josh Bell, who was their biggest bat uh, and the biggest offensive production in the lineup. Um, he was a 2019 All-Star and, and really was one of the guys who – he was the last of those competitive um, Pirates teams over the last couple of years. He was the last of that, that core that was there. And so it's going to be tough for them this year. Um, they're – like I mentioned before, they were 26 in hits last year. They were dead last in runs scored. They were 27th in home runs. They were 26th in walk walks earned. They were 16th in strikeouts. They were 28th in stolen bases. They were 28th in batting average. That's just not good enough. That's not going to get you. Uh, that's not even going to get you in the mix in the division, more or less uh, the NL, which I think is loaded this year. Um, on the pitching side, they were 19th in ERA, and then they were 22nd in hits given up, which isn't terrible. Like I mentioned before, those numbers are flipped, so they're in the bottom 10 of hits given up. But ultimately, I just don't see it with the Pirates this year. I I, I don't know how they're gonna how they're gonna string together enough wins and enough success to to even really be in the conversation. Would love to see them start to utilize some more of their young guys start to, you know, try to build up that organization and, and use this as a stepping stone for that. Um, I know I've mentioned this for a couple of teams in, in, in a few of our breakdowns before, but you got to get more aggressive on the offensive end, whether that's, you know, playing station to station ball, uh, running bases a little bit harder, uh, maybe bunting, things like that, hit and runs, just things to try to conjure up some more runs and some more activity on the base pass because, uh, you can't be bottom five in, in all the major statistical categories for offense and even consider having a chance, especially with the lack of pitching that they've had. I hesitate to just condemn them early in the year, but I just really don't see it with the Pirates this year. Um, and if you're a Pittsburgh fan listening to this, I'm sorry, but it's going to be a rough one for you guys this year. 
All right, team four here. We're going to look at the Cardinals. Um, Cardinals made the playoffs last year at 30 and 28. Uh, one of two teams that didn't play 60 full games last year. Uh, they only made it to 58, but they were still able to make it into the playoffs. They lost 2-1 to one to the Padres last year in the wild card. I probably had the biggest signing in free agency or during this offseason by uh, getting Nolan Arenado which does not make me happy in the least bit. Um, they they won the Paul Goldschmidt uh, lottery a couple years ago, and now they're adding Nolan Arenado. And it's just that team, like the, the, their organization always seems to to make the best moves and, and to get those um, high-level players into their organization that are going to stay there and, you know, just be – a, a deadly force for for years to come for the division and and the the NL in in particular. They're going to need Nolan Arenado to produce though because statistically last year from an offensive standpoint they weren't good. Again, um, they were 29th in hits, they were 28th in runs scored, they were dead last in home runs last year, they were 13th in walks earned, they were 26th in the amount of strikeouts they had last year. 27th in stolen bases, 22nd in batting average. So very much like the first three teams that we talked about in this breakdown, just not a lot of success um, on the offensive end. And it's really it's really a pattern for the entire division. There was not any type of outstanding play uh, from, from an offensive standpoint from any of these teams last year, uh, which is shocking because four of the five made the playoffs. And I think a lot of that had to do with the pitching efforts that we saw from each team individually last year. Cardinals were ninth in ERA last year, and they had the least amount of hits given up at 367, which was a whopping 25 less hits than the second place finishing team. So, I mean, they're, 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 Rotation was dominant last year, as, as dominant as you could possibly get last year, uh, which definitely carried them for a, a long way. I look to, to say that they'll probably have some of the same type of uh, production out of that, that rotation this year. I really do think that this team's in a, in a great position to you know see some success in the division. Like Obviously, adding Nolan Arenado, uh solidifies that offensive lineup uh you get you a guy who's i mean he's gonna statistically he's gonna hit 30 40 home runs and 100 rbis like he's just gonna be that type of production um and and if you can get paul goldsmith to you know produce as he was a couple of years ago i mean that really gives you a strong one-two punch that's gonna compete with damn near any of the top producing teams in the nl um conference this year and so Looking forward to seeing what the Cardinals produce because I truly think that they're in a great spot this year to to really make a run at it for the postseason. A lot will rely on offensive production, but even if they – there's probably going to be some drop-off to their pitching, but even if it's minimal, um, they're still going to see themselves with a lot of Ws in the, in the column and, and really putting themselves in a position to potentially win this division. And finally, we've got the breakdown for my Cubbies, man. Um, really, we let one division last year, uh, 34 wins, 26 losses. 
we did get swept in the wild card round last year by the Marlins. It was, yep, by the Marlins, uh, two to nothing last year. Had a had a rough offseason, if if I'm just being honest. You know, we had um, Theo stepping down as the the president of baseball operations, um, which that's a that's a huge blow. Um, if you know anything about uh, the things that Theo has brought, not only to the Cubs organization but also Boston too, that's really a, a, a tough piece to lose. And it's uh, it, I think it will end up showing its hand. I think he had a lot to do with building out this roster to to get us where we need to be in 2016 when we won um, the World Series. And I think like losing him is going to be a large chunk out of this organization. So I, I think the Cubs are going to have to we're going to have to see some movement here to to close the window or excuse me, to keep the window open and hoping to, you know, avoid that window closing and, and, and starting to see some of the remnants of the old Cubbies where you're struggling to win games and make the playoffs. Outside of losing Theo from a roster standpoint, I thought we lost a ton of valuable production as well. Um, from from just a, a a an everyday player roster breakdown, like losing Kyle Schwarber is huge for this team. Uh, I mean, that's a guy that's going to hit 25, 30 home runs a year. Um, not. I would say he's an average outfielder at best. Um, I, I did think he, he improved uh, vastly last year in his outfield play, uh, which allowed him to stay on the field a lot more consistently. Um, but also from a batting perspective, I always just feel like Kyle Swarber was probably our second best hitter as far as approach is concerned. I think Rizzo does a great job of um, – taking a team-first approach every single time he steps into the box. But Schwarber's right there, too. He's got a great eye. Uh, he doesn't chase a lot of bad pitches, and he really gets the most out of every single one of his at-bats. So losing him to the Nationals is definitely going to hurt. It's definitely going to be a hole in our lineup that we're going to have to try to um, somehow fill and, and get some valuable production from somebody stepping in there. From a rotation standpoint, we lost uh, John Lester. We lost Jose Quintana. And the biggest blow is losing you, Darvish, um, who was basically in the top two, uh, just getting edged out by Trevor Bauer last year for the NL Cy Young. And, you know, we gave him this, this whopping contract a few years ago, and he really underperformed for the majority of the time that he was with us. But, um, in 2019, the second half of the season, he started to become and look like more of the pitcher that we all thought you Darvish would be. Uh, and last year, I thought he was incredible. I mean, he he went back to that style of having just that, that confidence that his stuff was completely unhittable. And he really carried that, that, that roster and that rotation last year uh, for the Cubs. And so losing him is going to be – uh, a huge chunk out of our our rotation, as well as you know, quiet is kept. Losing Chatwood is going to be tough too. Um, you know, he was another one that didn't necessarily produce the first couple of years we had him, but last year he was as steady as can be as a number three for our lineup last year. And so, you know, we basically lost all but one of our starters <laughs> out of our rotation, which doesn't bode well for success traditionally. Um, 
So a lot of young guys are going to have to step up and produce and and to become, you know, established one through five rotation guys. And so we'll we'll see what happens with the Cubs there. Um, one big signing that we did have in the summer, or excuse me, in the off season that I think uh, may play out to play well is Jock Peterson. Uh, I thought he pl- he's played tremendously so far through the spring. Now I say that, and he'll hit under two hundred for the rest of the year, of course, because I put that on record. But um, if we're just looking at his his spring ball production, like he's playing pretty well. I think he's got like five or six home runs already. Uh, you'd love to see that continue for this team um, and kind of fill that void for losing Kyle Schwarber. And so a lot will be put on Jock Peterson to produce. And, you know, things are off to a great start now, but really excited to see what he's going to be able to produce as we jump into the regular season. Looking at the Cubs breakdown last year for, um, for analytics, we were 27th in hits. 20th in runs scored, 17th in home runs, 8th in walks earned, 5th in strikeouts, 17th in stolen bases, and 27th in batting average. Um, Not good. Not good, especially for the amount of stars that we have in that lineup. You just got to be better. Um, There's simply no excuse for them to underperform from an offensive standpoint. You've got... I, what I would say, even this year, we've got four guys in this lineup that can hit 30-plus home runs with, um, you know, you still got Contreras, you got Rizzo, you got Bryant, and you got Baez. Like, those guys have to produce. Um, last year was not good offensively for any of those guys outside of Anthony Rizzo. And I think one of the things that I heard a lot about was, the inability to analyze at bats during the game. Um, so last year they took away that, but they're bringing it back. Uh, I know that that tremendously affect Javi Baez, who is someone who needs to see those videos of at bats so that he can make adjustments and corrections to how he's pitched, so he can change his approaches when he goes back to the plate uh, later in the game. Last year he didn't have that, so he had what I would say was a very underwhelming year from the plate last year, and something that especially going into arbitration, he really needs to have a big year uh, for this team. Same with Chris Bryant. Um, he's, he's had some injuries here and there for the last couple of years, but really just been underperforming from an offensive standpoint uh, for the last couple of years, and we really desperately need him to get back to his MVP-level form of production. Contreras, pretty much the same thing, uh, uh, a lesser than stellar year last year. He's dealt with some injuries over the past couple of seasons. We really need him to be healthy through this this entire 162 of this season. Um, and then Baez, like, he gives you so much from a defensive standpoint, and he's so electric. But if he can return to that 2019 form when he was in the MVP race, like, this team does have offensive weapons. Like, let's not get it twisted. We're extremely fortunate to have a lot of good bats in our lineup. If we can return to some of the offensive productions that we've seen in the past uh, with this core of players, I think that we can position ourselves to have a really good year. From a pitching standpoint last year, we were 10th in ERA and 22nd in hits given up. Again, tremendous statistics there, but like I mentioned earlier in the breakdown, 
we lost four or five of those rotation starters. And so this year is going to be tough, and it's going to be even worse if we don't have offensive production. So I'm really, really looking at the Cubs this year. Like, this is going to be a make-or-break season because I think if you – if, if they underperform this year, you're going to see that course probably going to get broken up. And I would I would probably say you lose two of those core four players at least, um, if not more. And so Cubs are really in a bind right now where they're going to have to show up and, and produce this year. And so I'm really I'm really interested to see what happens. And and as a Cubs fan, I'm telling you, I, I'm not going into the season with uh, a lot of high hopes for us winning this division for another year. Um, but I do think that if we can find established rotation, we've got a chance. We've got a chance. And if we can find better production offensively, then we're in there. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens and what plays out this year. All right, for my pro- projections for this year, um, going to be a little bit wonky in the division, but – Again, I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible when I give you all these breakdowns. And so, at fifth, I got the Pirates. Um, I think they're they're probably on their way to 90 to 100 losses. And, you know, nobody likes to beat up on the, the small guy. And I just think the Pirates are – they're rebuilding right now. And they're just not going to be very good. So, I got the Pirates solely in fifth possession. I just don't necessarily see any other team. Uh, that's going to take over that spot. I've actually got a tie for third place. Uh, I think the Reds and the Brewers are going to be within one to two games of that fourth and third spot. Uh, I think both of them saw some successes last year, but both of them have had uh, losses through their rotation and in their, uh, their roster that are not necessarily going to contribute to seeing some uh, some turnaround and, and consistent success as they did last year. Uh, it's hard for me to determine who's going to end up when we get to September rated a little bit higher, but I honestly think it's going to be about a one-two game split between the Brewers and the Reds for that third-place seeding. I, in my breakdown, I've got the Brewers in fourth and the Reds in third, but that could totally be the Reds in fourth and the Brewers in third. Um but I do think there's going to be a, a very minimal amount of games that separate those two teams. In second in the division, I got the Cubs, man. Uh, again, I'm telling you, I'm trying to do this as unbiased as possible. And, and let me tell you, it doesn't make me feel good to put us here. And I'm not trying to, you know, play that psychological jinx where I put a second and we win. Like, that's just not happening. I just, I don't think uh, with the amount of, talent that we lost from a pitching standpoint I don't think that we're in a position to compete and win the division without a stellar output from our new rotation and that's hard to objectify and see right now because it's so early in the year Uh, but I do think from an offensive standpoint we're probably in the best position possible if everybody produces according to what they can provide um and I, and I mean that even even counting the Cardinals. I, I still think from top to bottom our lineup's better than St. Louis's, but uh, I have more faith in Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, or Arenado um, producing at a high level for 162 games more than I do for our core four. And so 
with that being said, I've got the Cardinals uh, winning the division. And it doesn't make me happy or feel good to say that. But, I mean, if we're just keeping it a buck, like they they look like a team that is set up to make a run at winning this division. And they've probably got, I would say, out of 100%, they've probably got a 77% chance of winning this division. Uh, and that's just, I'm, it, it totally feels like everybody else is playing for second place. Why that's important, though, is because I do think that this particular division, it's going to be, you know, somebody in that 2-3 spot here and somebody in that 2-3 spot in the NL East fighting for that second wild card spot because I think one of those wild card spots is going to get locked up out West if we're being honest. And so it's going to be important to win as many games as you can. I know that sounds dumb, but it's going to be important to, you know, take every game as important as possible because you can etch out that that last wild card spot Um uh, so I'm looking at my Cubbies. I, I really need us to get off to a hot start here and um, and stay healthy as we look into the, the 2021 season. So for a recap, that's the Pirates in fifth, the Reds and the Brewers tied for third. But since we can't do that and you all don't like ties, we'll say the Brewers in fourth and the Reds in third. Cubs in second place. And again, St. Louis winning the division. But you guys know what time it is. Hit it, Drake. Top five, no debating. Top five, top five, top five. So we're here with another edition of Top Five. I'm trying to not do the same style top fives every week. And so for this week, I got a pretty cool one that I think y'all will like. I'm doing Top Five NL Central uniforms. So these are um, old schools, throwbacks, um, alternates, whatever you want to look at. I'm looking at uh, the totality of, of the division, and I got one from each team. Uh, I'll make sure to post a picture just in case you guys haven't seen any of these these outfit combinations. But uh, at number five, I've got Milwaukee. I've got their baby blue and yellow jerseys. Um, they're old school colors where I think now they've transitioned to a little bit more of a navy and gold look. Uh but, yeah, these throwback baby blues, they're primarily top and bottoms are baby blue with the, the yellow stripes and lettering. It's it just a tremendous look. I mean, it's hard to beat that one. Um, I'm a big fan of baby blue uniforms, and so had to go with that one for Milwaukee. Number four, going with the all black from the Pirates, man. Like, I know it, it, it probably doesn't, you know, Feel good to wear that outfit in the in the dog days of the summer when you're standing out in the outfield and the sun's beating on your face. But uh, black top, black bottoms with the the yellow pinstripe hat. I mean, whew, that's a look, baby. Um, so the Pirates at four with the all black get up. At three, I've got the Reds and in the pinstripes, and you know which pinstripes I'm talking about the the Barry Larkin, the the Deion Sanders, the King Griffey Jr. pinstripes, the white with the with the red pinstripes and the red sleeves. I mean, that's just fantastic look. Like, it's hard to beat that look. And, you know, my, my Cincinnati fans are going to argue with the two teams ahead of them, but that look is tremendous. And I remember uh, growing up when we played rec ball, um, each team was basically uh, mimicked off of major league teams of course and so we were the reds one year and we had that get up and whoo it was a look and your boy was was fashionable back in the day with that that reds pinstripe so i've got them listed at number three 
Number two, I've got the St. Louis Saturday Blues. I mean, whoo! I, I just picture the 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 Ozzie Smith uniform in that baby blue, and it's just fire. I mean, just outright fire uniform. Uh, and I'm glad that they've gone back to rocking those on Saturdays now. Uh, it's a good look, and so I've got them coming in at number two. And at number one, like, be for real. You guys knew what it was. Like, we're going with the classics. We're going with the the cubby home white pinstripes. I mean, they're just classic, man. All the all the different colors and the different iterations of alternate jerseys, like, they look good. Don't get it twisted, but you can't beat a classic, man. Like, you just can't beat a hundred year just beautiful white jersey with the blue pinstripes it's just undefeated and so had to go with the cubs in first place there but um excited for the nl central this year excited to see what the teams are going to do really looking for an offensive explosion from this division because there's a lot of pieces that can provide that i think all teams would say like the offseason they probably put it a concerted effort into making change from an offensive standpoint. And so I'll be interested to see how that takes shape as well as getting that, that in game uh, batting breakdown back. Uh, I do think we'll see a, a, a better shift in offensive production. I think division wide um, and really important, most importantly for my cubbies. Uh, I'm really ready to start watching us play again this year. Uh, I'm excited for the season. I'm also terrified that we might just be terrible, um, but we'll see how it plays out. So that's our NL Central breakdown. I appreciate you guys joining. Uh, again, please, please, please rate us, review us, and subscribe so it comes directly to you. I uh, can't stress that enough. And then uh, we'll see you later this week with another breakdown.